Some very sad news this week. An esteemed former colleague of ours, Susan Tankersley, passed away a couple of weeks ago. She was known as Strega on Television Without Pity, where she covered Angel for Us, among other shows, and also served as co-head mod on the forums. Her passing is a real loss. She had such a smart, dry wit, but not a mean one. And when we heard the news, Sarah fondly recalled that there was no one she would rather play a crappy, badly designed, boring, cheaply made board game based on a TV show with, because you would laugh the whole time. She was a key part of the team, and we'll miss her a great deal. Susan, thanks for being great, and feel free to unleash a lightning bolt on Knight Rider, the game, and on Firefly. With much love from all of us at Previously.TV and your many friends and admirers on Television Without Pity. Previously.TV Podcast Network. Grace, you may be perfectly frank with me. I have no reason not to be frank with you, sir. A lady may conceal things as she has a reputation to lose. But I am beyond that. I can say anything I like, or if I don't wish to, I needn't say anything at all. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 176 for the week of Monday, October 30th, 2017. I am Coffin Face Hole David T. Cole, and I'm here with cross-dressing rebel Tara Ariano. William I. McKenzie Power. Soul-blocking window Allison Lohuff. I should have opened the window. And quilt of metaphor Rob Hartman. Dangerous things take place in a bed. <laughs> Welcome to Extra Hot Great. Sarah Debunting is not able to join us this week, but we have a returning guest, Allison Lohuff. Hello, Allison. Yay! And a guest who's never exactly been on the podcast before, except in another sense, he's been on many times. Game Master Rob Hartman. Hello, Rob. Yay! Hey. <laughs> I think Rob is calling in from the greatest distance on Extra Hot Great ever. Yeah, from Denmark. The moon. Oh, Denmark. Oh, yeah, 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 same thing. <laughs> uh, Rob is in a room with one chair and um, he's on the and a microphone, basically. He's yeah. living that uh, Scandinavian minimalist lifestyle. So he's a little <laughs> echoey. That's, that's why. He's got yeah. nothing. He's got nothing. Nothing. No curtains, no nothing. We hide nothing here. So, and yeah. he's here to talk about Borgen. Just kidding. Uh, our lead topic today is Alias Grace, which is an adaptation of a Margaret Atwood novel, the second of this year, um, except this one, in addition to uh, running on Netflix, which it will premiere there this Friday, November third. Uh, the whole season has already aired in Canada on CBC, which is not surprising. This is the most Canadian thing I've seen in a while. I mean, I guess it's it's not as Canadian as Anne of Green Gables, but uh, it's it, it does not shy away from its Canadianosity. And I read this book um, right when it came out and remembered zero about it. So all of the sort of twists and turns of the story were a surprise to me, even though they maybe shouldn't have been. This was the first book I read after I finished grad school. So I think maybe my brain just was pushing out everything it possibly could to make more room for TV shows. Um, <laughs> Thanks, brain. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it's based loosely on some, some actual crimes of the time I have not looked into lately, not since I read the book, ha exactly how close the... Um, the story follows the real thing. 
But Allison, let's start with you since you're an aficionada of um, crime shows having run the Wheel of Murder on Previously.TV for many years. What did you think of this period crime story? How did it work for you? Uh, I very much enjoyed it. I'm very glad you said that about it being super Canadian because <laughs> I didn't want to say anything about it being so because I thought, well, is that offensive somehow to like, not as a slam, but like I didn't want to draw attention to it. Anyway, it's way Canadian. And it's... Um, Every time there's a murder, the murderer's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, it was, I, I really think it's good. Now I, I didn't finish it. I, I only was able to watch the first four, um, episodes of six. Is that's right. There's only six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you or, did move this weekend. So that's quite a lot. Impressive. Yeah, I'm also sitting in an empty room. That's if I sound like I'm in a cavern, <laughs> there's just boxes around me. Um, I thought it was great. I, I thought, um, the performances, some of them were just really, um, stellar there. There was so much talking in it that I felt, which I love, you know, you know, that's like my thing. But it, a couple of times I was like, do I need to just like find the Cliff's notes of this book, which I haven't read and just like try to skip ahead or something. It, it, um, you know, I love the, the process stuff and the, the procedure stuff. So I, I enjoyed it very much. I thought Anna Paquin was so creepy and amazing in, in many cases, just, I mean, I know she wasn't the main role, but I, I thought she particular, I was watching uh, the fourth episode just a few minutes ago and um, she was super creepy. So we should say a little bit about what the story is. So, so Grace Marks is a housemaid. Um, she's a immigrant from Ireland. She's come to Canada has bad family stuff that happens to her early on and then gets hired into the house of an alderman. More bad stuff happens there. She then gets hired to move to the far away, very distant suburb of Richmond Hill, which in, in our time, just for those of you who are not Canadian, is a, a very near suburb of Toronto and like not not far at all. But in this time, it's like way out in the country and totally isolated. So So far out that one of the characters that lives in Richmond Hill has never been to Toronto in his lifetime. Right. Wow. Um, uh, so then... It's like Brooklyn to New York. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a little further. But yes. So then she's hired by this bachelor um, and uh, more weird stuff goes on because he has a kind of inappropriate relationship with his so-called housekeeper who is maybe housekeeper plus. And that's the Anna Paquin character. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the second boss is played by Paul Gross, formerly of... Um, do south. south yeah that the show yep. and slings and arrows um and so then the we know from the beginning of the series because she's already in prison that she's 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 been implicated in a in the murder of nancy the anna paquin character we don't know exactly what her part was in it we but it's very, it's told in a very elliptical way where we you know we sort of start there and when then back up and go in sort of loops of time um and so then the story becomes her retelling of her life to Dr. Jordan, who's played by Alex Holcroft from London Spy. Um, and oh, that's where he's from. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. He he also looks like that guy, Matthias Schoenart, that guy from Bullhead. Yeah. That movie a little that we bit. Watched. Yeah. And the doctor is there on the behest of a group of people headed by the, the town minister who believe that she is innocent or at least not quite as guilty as everybody. Right. A free, free grace group. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, and so she's she's uh, telling the story over many days, and uh, then you know the question becomes, what is true? And um, Rob, how much of the show did you watch? Uh, I just had a chance to watch the first episode. Okay. Yeah, I just gave Rob the first one. Rob is a very late uh, addition to this episode, so we we you didn't have time to watch everything. <laughs> okay, Rob, what is your experience? Do you watch a lot of period shows or crime shows or Canadian shows or any of those three? <laughs> uh, actually, all three of those. Um, uh, probably Canadian, the the least of those. But R- Rob, Rob is the world's biggest seeing things fan, which is of course <laughs> all three of those combined. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, no, I watch a lot of period shows and a lot of crime shows. And, um, you know, just going off the first episode, really drawn in. I think, um, especially when shows are dealing with, you know, everything's terrible and people are vomiting into buckets, you know, that kind of thing. Like in the first sea voyage, it's very easy for um, shows to kind of go overboard on that. But I, I think, again, just on this first um, uh, introduction to the world, I think they really get into you know, like the mud in the streets in a way that feels um, interestingly observed and not kind of like hitting you over the head with it, you know. Um, the uh, the actress, uh, what is her name, Sarah Gaden? Ga- I, I think it's Gaden to... or Gadden. Gaden. Pamela yeah. Ribbon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, who plays Grace is just, um, she really has, I love when they find people who have those faces that look like they could be from the era, you know, yeah. I think it's, mm-hmm. uh, and she definitely has that. And, you know, just is, um, you know, really drawn into what she's doing. Yeah, I think it looks beautiful. I liked her as well. She looks like Kate McKinnon to me. Am I the only one who thinks that? Oh yes. Her mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, I couldn't get over the Pam, Pam Bryn look. I think yeah, it's the eyes as well. There was a Pam element. <laughs> Uh, this is not to uh, damn it with faint praise. Uh, I think this is the perfect show to save to watch with your mom over the holidays. Very much so. <laughs> uh, it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It's meticulously made and well acted, well presented. Uh, S- Sarah Polly did the teleplay, I guess you would call it. Yeah, I think this is the kind of show... You start watching at 1.30 p.m. on uh, the day after whatever holiday you all meet up for, and you just consume (laughs) it over the next four days with your mom. And she's got one of those quilted blankets with the the giant holes in it. That kind of keeps you warm, but not quite. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Represents Um, the hearth fire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's not, it's, 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 it's not bonkers TV, right? It's like the antidote to bonkers TV. This is like a, a, uh, a crime story that has, you know, some things to say about where women are in society back then. And of course, therefore today, and it does it all without being, you know, over the top without putting everything on the marquee. Not a lot of sex stuff. Yeah. It's, it's not gratuitous, um, mm-hmm. which is why you can watch it with your mom. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, it's, it's, it's also, uh, but it, but saying it's a slow burn that, I mean, that it is, it does burn. I wouldn't say it was boring. No, um, no. But it, you know, if you took the same material and set it in the present day, mm-hmm. right. You know, if you just did a present day version of the story, it would be crazy. Right. Like, you know, the pacing yes. would be different, you know, everything. So I'm just like, it's just nice to let a show and a story breathe like this one does. Yeah. That's they roll I mean. it out nice. Maybe four episodes in. Dave said what he thought the twist was. And I said, 
because I didn't remember, I said, oh, really? I think it's this. And we both ended up being right. So wow. <laughs> they combined both of our predictions in a in a very neat way. Spoilers a ho, fun ahoy. If you two want to plug your ears for a couple of minutes, go ahead. So okay. my thing was, I, 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 and I was thinking this right from episode two, I, but I didn't say anything till episode four. I turned to Tara and I said, if this ends up being that she is schizophrenic, one, I called it, two, boo. Uh, <laughs> and then Tara said, you thought. Oh, I thought it was that she's t- she was deliberately misleading Dr. Jordan with her story, that she was telling right. him the story that she thought would get her out that was not necessarily the truth. Combined with an unreliable narrator. Right. You know, thing. Mm. Turns out we were sort of both right. Um, yep. You know, they don't come right out and say that she is schizophrenic, but there is sort of this question of of her mental state or that she is using... The doctor. Uh, well, no, that she's using her past to sort of inform the choices she made now. Like, like she's taken on another personality at some point, you know, is her friend Mary from the past real or what she imagined is, is, is she also her? And, right. you know, did she just sort of make this split at some point? Um, mm. turns out we're sort of both correct and, and, and both partly wrong, but it was very satisfying to see that at the <laughs> end. Cause I was, I was like, okay, good. It's not just a straight, you know, Sybil, but you know, throwing people down the stairs story, which I was right. <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear that they um they do that this very um sort of a slight nod to that potential outcome in the first episode, like in the opening sequence, you see her, I guess, looking into a mirror or something, and she's her face is changing into these different expressions, and not in a big obvious way. Um, and so I did wonder about that, about her reliability as, yeah. as a narrator. Also the title. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, 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 oh, let me close up the spoiler. Now, Alias Grace spoilers have come at an end. It is safe to listen again without fear of being spoiled. So anyways, the ending was satisfying. That's that's what all that was. Mm-hmm. So, But it also, I would say, does a good job of rounding out all of its characters, even the even the minor ones and even the ones who you're not really supposed to like and don't um, like Nancy feels like a real person. Mr. Kinnear does, too. Like everyone that's that sort of crosses paths with Grace is is well done, I would say, except Dr. Jordan, who is kind of a blank and not great. And it may just be because he's an English actor trying to be. American badly, but he was, he was, I felt the worst. I was just going to say there was something about the way he was talking in the first episode that was like a little mush mouth rubbery kind of like, I didn't know what he was doing, but yeah. But, uh, that's the, I mean, there's not much else to say. It's so well done. It's only six episodes. You can zoom right through it. If you like a crime show, it's, it's interesting to see how the, the, the court process was different then and and how, what prisons were like in, in the olden days. <laughs> and what their giant hats were like. That was fun, too. Mm-hmm. The cops and everything. They had like, it was like they're wearing three police hats with one brim. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of amazing. Going from one topic to another, appropriate 
I'm so glad that we have Allison here in in the absence of Sarah because I wanted to talk about Leah Remini colon Scientology and the aftermath and the fact that Mike Rinder is the Pierce of that show. So if you're not familiar, I've talked about it on various points over the years. The Pierce, for those who don't know, because we haven't done one of these in a long time, is the character or person on a show who, if they were lifted out, it wouldn't make any difference to the show and, in fact, might improve it. Named for? Named for Pierce from Community, who later went on to prove exactly how correct that name is because they did get rid of him on the show, and I guess it was the same as ever. Uh, This is the show where Leah Remini, a former Scientologist, uh, interviews people who have also left the church about their experience. And her sidekick, essentially, is Mike Rinder, who used to be uh, the spokesperson for the church when he was still in it. And and we see some footage of him in the past, like going on various TV shows and telling what he now says are gigantic lies about Scientology and how it works and all of the, um, you know, all the ways that they drum people out or force them to stay in through blackmail and so on. And I, he's fine, but I feel like increasingly his job is to drive the car that takes Leah Remini to wherever she's going to interview someone and to kind of like, just be the person that she's bouncing off her, you know, remarks and opinions and, and outrage and so on without really offering much more to the viewer than she does, particularly since not that it would work necessarily if it was, if they had found someone who had also left the church, who was at her level of charisma, like, first of all, good luck. But second, he's so blah compared to her. Right. That, um, I feel like he doesn't really add anything to the show and that she could do it without him. Allison, your thoughts. I don't know if she could do it without him or, or without somebody, but he, Mm -hmm is disappointing me uh, not only on the Pierce level, which I totally agree that he is, but Mm -hmm. this dude was high up in the organization. You know, she is a famous person. She was treated like a celebrity. He was actually like in the ranks with David Miscavige. He was allegedly like in the hole for like two years or something. I need more details about all of that. And he, he'll be like, yeah, I did these bad bad things and you know, I saw some terrible stuff and blah blah. But then he never says like I want like all the the backstory of of the whole for for one thing. Like I want to know mm-hmm. when they say they were in there for 2 years, were they literally not leaving the building for 2 years? I need all the right. info and all of the, like the dirty tricks that he was involved with. He alludes to it and he's gotten tears in his eyes several times when when they have to face these people that he personally abused, like mm-hmm. through methods. And, you know, he tears up about it and he says things like sometimes he does more than tear of? up. Sometimes he like cries, like, yeah. like sobbing, active crying. Exactly. And like, that's fine. But I feel like he's not and not that not that he has to repeatedly you know, pay penance for it. Although, um, he does, <laughs> but like, yeah, n- he's not coming forward with what he actually, I feel like he knows so much more that he's not, that he could be saying. And yeah. It, and it feels so like that would be the reason he would. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, his it feels like that's the reason less. that she got him for this show. <laughs> Sorry, we keep talking over it. <laughs> that's okay. I agree okay. with you. He's he's he is he is really he does seem like he's holding back, and maybe that's for legal reasons. Like we certainly see in the credits that they have, you know, lawyers that are uh, you know on staff making sure they don't say more than they have to. And I I can imagine it's a dicey situation for him more so than for her for the reasons that you say because because he was so involved in like church um you know processes and stuff mm-hmm. but at the same time like she she can bounce her her comments just as easily off a producer if he's going to be giving us so little so right i mean yeah and he the thing that i that i wait keep waiting for with him besides that stuff is he keeps saying we've got to do something about it we're trying to do things about it what mm-hmm. can we do about it? You know, and I, what, what are you doing? Like, like I just feel like they're driving yeah. past, like they're driving past like federal buildings every once in a while and like sort of gesturing, like, and we're going to the FBI and I don't know, I guess they can't be super specific, but yeah, his, he knows everything. So I, I want to hear more from him or he can, you know, pierce out. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we agree. (laughs) Bye, Mike Rinder, if there is any justice. It's time to go around the dial. First stop, Tarariano Choo Choo. I would like to talk briefly about At Home with Amy Sedaris, which is a new show on True TV. Um, People who have followed her comedy career knows that she also has a sideline doing weird... um, quasi Martha Stewarty stuff. She's ha- she's published a couple of books about um entertaining that are uh exactly what you would expect. There's there's some valuable information in it, but mostly it's just uh comedic serious silliness. And uh that's what the show is like too. Um it airs on Wednesday nights on True TV. Did I say that? Yes, it's half hour. Um so we the first two episodes have aired at the time of this recording and uh it's very much for the Amy Sedaris fan, which I guess a show like this should be. Um, there's it, there's not a lot of real housekeeping or cooking or crafting uh, help that you're going to get. You're not going to learn anything probably from this show. Uh, but it is a very Amy sedaris parody of shows like uh, Martha Stewart Every Day, for example. Uh, and in the first one, she also has, uh, she says she's making a whole fish fry for several businessmen that she's invited to come by for it. And at the end, they show up and they are Paul Giamatti, uh, Josh Hamilton, uh, Broadway actor, and Todd Berry, a stand-up comic. And they just play businessmen straight. Uh, it's really weird and strange. <laughs> and they, she tries to start a dinner party conversation and it just ends up being about these guys, Mr. And so you see her face sort of fall like she's really disappointed, but she's not going to ruin the party by actually reacting to it. And the second episode, Scott adds it. Dave's favorite shows up um, to play a Greek diner owner. And there's a discussion about how long his menu is, which is very New York-y. She's a total weirdo. Uh, The show is weird. It's maybe a bit too long. It has the feel of something that if it was a web series would be just right at about 10 minutes. A half hour is kind of long. Um, But I'm glad that there are enough TV outlets in 
peak TV times to give Amy Sedaris a show because she should have one, whether this is the one she should have at this point in time. Maybe not. But uh, if you love her, you should check it out because it's very her. And for my plug, I'm going to mention the season finale of Two Spotted Dicks, which this week will be Three Spotted Dicks because Dave invited himself along to participate. He's uh, He's been guesting on several episodes. Dave, you're here for the big finale. Yeah, which was spoiled today, apparently. Yes, poor Prue. She uh, was in she was overseas and mixed up the time zones and she tweeted out the name of the winner and then very quickly deleted it. So I haven't seen who it is. Uh, but yeah, good. Good job, Prue. <laughs> this, is, well, this is not the th- sort of thing that would have happened on Mary Berry's watch that I know for a fact. Allison, what do you have for us? Uh, I wanted to talk about um, Shetland, which is um, a crime show uh, that's on streaming on Netflix right now. There's three seasons of it. Um, it stars Douglas Hinshaw, uh, who is um, plays Detective Inspector Jimmy Perez, and so it takes place uh, on the Scottish island, I guess you would call it, of uh, Shetland, uh, which is way, way, way um, up north and uh, very small. And um, I, that is my favorite type of crime show because of that, because of this whole small town element, but also like just the wind and the sea and, you know, everybody looking super sexy in their uh, pea coats and what have you. Um, There's it's, some exciting news for you. It's what? an archipelago. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Some, some geographical uh, info there. Um, boom. boom. Uh, so yeah, it's really good. And there, you know, everybody has to take a ferry wherever they're going. And I mean, it's like, uh-huh. really nice um they do go to glasgow at, at some point also um it's just very scottish the guy that plays the detective is is like really good and the supporting cast um is fantastic also um allison o'donnell uh is his supporting um sort of a uh what do they call it a ds and uh yeah. she's um She's fantastic. So I, I highly recommend it. There are three seasons of it on Netflix. I believe they'll be making more. Is it sort of like Wallander-esque in its sort of local approach? It is, but it's not yeah. it's that dark. It's not, well, right. it's not okay. as dark as the Wallander stories can be. And it's, right. um, it's just, I, I really love it. It's my favorite one in a while. And I've actually watched it twice for there's wow. something I, I really enjoyed about it. Um, three seasons of it. The first season I think is, was considered like a two hour movie or something. Cause it's in two parts, but then the other two seasons have four episodes each. So highly recommend it. And for a plug, right. yeah. Um, plug wise, uh, I don't have much right now. So you can please follow me on Twitter at low huff and, uh, you know, who knows what I'll do. Rob, your turn. What do you got? Yes. Well, uh, I have been watching Stranger Things 2, Stranger Things, um, (laughs) which is strange. Yes, really strange, Uh, which um, they dropped on Netflix, I believe, last Friday. Yep. Um, Yeah. So I'm parceling it out. I'm only two episodes in. And actually, once we're done, we're recording this on Halloween. And once we're done, I'm going to binge the rest of it. But uh, just so far, really enjoying it. 
um, you know, there's always a danger with sequels. Um, I don't know if you can say that a, a series gets flanderized, you know, that uh, idea where, you know, a character just becomes sort of one trait. And I think it's, um, it would be very easy for this show known, you know, for its eighties nostalgia. This, by the way, if you, you know, aren't familiar with it from the first time, this is sort of a, the 70s, 80s, uh, teen boys on bikes, solve a mystery kind of genre um, with a lot of 80s stuff going on. And there's some things like music cues where they uh, they go to an arcade and, you know, they're playing Whip It, which feels like it could tip over into being a little too obvious. But most of the time, um, I think it's sort of really well observed, uh, especially costume. There's a bit where Nancy, the uh, sort of popular girl in high school, is wearing these little... Um, like tiny little gold butterfly earrings that every girl I knew oh, you know, yeah. had those. Definitely. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like those tiny little details where it doesn't go uh, too far over. And there's a, a sequence at a Halloween party when people are dressed from like Animal House and Risky Business and, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, they've added Sean Astin to the cast, who's a great addition. He's got the same sort of genre resonance and 80s resonance as Winona Ryder. So they're uh, working really well together. Uh, the kids uh, are excellent. Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, you know, she can just look into the camera, um, does so much. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm hoping that I won't be disappointed as I get further into it, but uh, it's really scratching that Halloween itch. <laughs> it's funny how things can fall into that hole, though. Like, you think about something like Back to the Future, like the original movie where, you know, the mm -hmm. their idea of the 50s was so concentrated, you know, like as if the world started in 1951 and never existed before it. Like all the cars mm -hmm. were from 1951, all the, like right. there was no like jalopies, you know, from 1939 still rolling around. I feel like it's so easy to fall on that. You're so right. Like as if, yeah. like, like the homes, like, you know, like from the first season, you know, that house had been there for years and years and years. It didn't start its existence in 1980 and it had Patrick Nigel paintings on the walls and all that kind exactly. of stuff, right? Like it, Patrick it, Nagel. It, it, What'd I say? Nigel. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was close. That's yeah. the, that's the knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, no, I, I love that about the houses because, you know, this is my era and, mm -hmm. you know, was playing D and D and all that kind of thing. And, you know, it, it, where things are left over from the seventies and the color choices are kind of slowly evolving. I mean, the, the design, the production design and costume design is just really brilliantly done on this show. Yeah. Like I said, in season one, like th this show, I think it leans a lot on nostalgia. I mean, I haven't watched any of season two yet, but I feel like it oh, sure. does it so well that it's like totally forgivable and also like folds in so neatly into the show's DNA that they get away with it. And, and, and it's strong. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you feel the references. I mean, just in, um, you know, these first couple of episodes, there's, you know, thing which is sort of calling back to, um, you know, hunting ET in the woods and, you know, but you don't, it just feels like part of that genre of storytelling it they're you know they're leaning on it but not too hard at least at least so far so yeah i think it's uh, i think it's great um so for my plug all right so uh in the summer of course uh we announced that there was going to be uh, an extra hot game time spinoff and it like literally Two days after we announced it, my life like exploded in a crazy way with my new job. And somebody stole all your furniture. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was uh, on tour and all of a sudden living in tiny places and no internet and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so, uh, but I've, you know, uh, come back around and we're actually going to do it. So it's going to be uh, happening 
uh, very soon. We don't have a specific date, but it will be. Um, so for all the people who, uh, uh, you know, and lots of people uh, uh, signed up. So uh, hopefully I'll be back in touch with everyone and uh, we'll get it going. Would you would you really feel comfortable it. saying it's a November project? Uh, yeah, I would feel comfortable. All right. Awesome. So maybe, maybe you know, so maybe it'll be something that you can... Uh, Listen to over Thanksgiving, something like that. There you go. With, your, with your mom in between Alias Grayson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I love that game time, yeah. <laughs> uh, guys, uh, Pickle and Peanuts back. Making good on a threat I made about a year ago. Tara, we're now going to do the Pickle and Peanut theme challenge. Oh, no. Right? Where we're going to do it once a week until you get it right. Oh, okay. Can yes. you do all the words to the pickle and peanut theme? If you could take your headphones off for 30 seconds, Tara, I will play it for everybody at home. Oh, no. Okay. Right. Oh, I'm not going to pull mean? up the lyrics. I could, but I won't. Okay, I know you headphones won't. I off. can trust you. Sharks, okay. swords, yogurt, cakes, fries, smartphones, hot tubs, yeah. Chains, bagels, grills, airbrush, chrome, blankets, mopeds, yes. Drop top, laptop, breathless cars, kittens, what's these drive throughs fresh? Tight pants, widescreens, tacos, wheelies, freestyles, dress stores, mini trampolines. Pickle and peanut. Pickle and peanut. Pickle and peanut. Pick, 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 pick. I'm back. All right. So Tara is going to try to <laughs> do the theme and I will buzz you as soon as you get something wrong. And we're just going to end it there and move on to next week. Here luck, we Th- go. This will take no time. Sharks, swords, yogurt, kicks. Shades. Mm. Ah! Oh, you got two lines. You got about another 12 to go, but oh, we'll boy. try again next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my actual thing that I wanted to talk about this week. Um, so, you know, I was uh, away for a couple of weeks. I had to go deal with a family emergency and I had to bring Tara's super old laptop with me. And this laptop is really old. The battery is completely dead. It only works when you plug it in. And I'm doing pretty processor intensive stuff when I edit these podcasts um, in Logic Pro X. And, uh, you know, bless that little MacBook Air. It's done us proud through all these years, but it really is showing its age. And everything that takes one or two seconds here on my nice big desktop takes like 15, 20 seconds on that laptop. So I missed something along the way or I did it and it didn't register or I had to undo it or something. So what happened is for two weeks... The Little House on the Prairie podcast, the music that fades in towards the end when Kim starts talking about what's on next week, started minutes before it should have. <laughs> and the two episodes that it happened to be on were like these seriously dark and sad episodes. They were episodes that people who watch the show were like, I never watch this one because it's too sad. It's about a woman dying and the <laughs> the townsfolk having to find homes for her three orphan children. <laughs> pa finds her and Laura says she's scared to hang out with Mrs. Sanderson because she's dying and it makes Laura worry what she would do if Mom and Pa died. Pa says you have to just live each day one at a time because if you spend your whole life worrying over something that's out of your control, at the end of your life, all you can look back on is worry. Pa adds that life is about laughing and loving each other and making memories to sustain you until you meet again in heaven. Man. I don't know if they played this clip at Michael Landon's memorial service, but they should have. <laughs> so uh, my, my apologies to, to Kim oh for uh, ruining her 
podcast for two weeks. And apologies to all the listeners. Um, the but that is kind of funny, guys. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, da, 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 da. And she died. Uh, <laughs> yep. Indeed. <laughs> Ah, uh, you know what that music means. It means it's time for the no-neck, the evil goateed mirror universe twin of the canon. This is a absolutely terrible episode of an otherwise well-regarded show, or at least well-liked show. This week's pitch comes from frequent contributor, contributor Brendan Brazo. Take it away, Brendan. Hello, Extra Hot. Great. Brendan Brazo here with a no-neck submission for the... Season 4, Episode 7 of Miami Vice, Missing Hours. So full disclosure, I never really watched Miami Vice growing up due to the combination of being too young and not being able to get a clear signal from the antenna for NBC. Kids, ask your parents, or possibly grandparents, God, I'm old. <laughs> I managed to watch one episode when it was on, but I was incredibly disappointed on how boring it was, what with the plot concentrating on a defecting Soviet scientist. But we're not here for boring, we're here for terrible. I chose this episode's mission as Dave asked for this to be a no-neck. Uh, this is considered the worst Miami Vice episode ever. <laughs> Missing hours. Saw the series take a sci-fi turn. We need to put that in oh, the no-neck. Oh my that god. That sounds fucking amazing. That sounds incredible. And I am not one to begrudge Dave of his wants, so here it is. <laughs> oh dear god, here it is. When you think of Miami Vice, you think of drugs, guns, and car chases. You do not think of alien abductions, government conspiracies, and tripped-out dream sequences. But here we are with this episode. It starts off normally enough with the detectives trying to catch porn dealers. Detective Stan Seiswick, played by Michael Talbot, and Trudy Joplin, played by Olivia Brown, are undercover in an open-air mall where they're bizarrely decided to recruit some crooks dressed in sci-fi costumes to act as a distraction for... I can't figure out any possible reason for this. We open with the following lines from our costume crooks. I am born sick to repress them. The pain of Cagor. Nuevos plantados. Space deputy. What broke you these improvisations during my surf fight? Why don't I reorient your intergalactic desirability? Right off the bat, we know we're in for something special. During this operation, a guy walks up to the crooks, and when he sees a symbol on the costume criminal's helmet, he goes crazy, drops 24 peanut butter jars, and then tosses himself through a plate glass window, killing himself. <laughs> Cue Miami Vice theme. The opening was so insane, I needed to watch the intro five times, turn on the closed <laughs> captioning, and read two plot synopses to figure out what the hell I actually just saw. After some exposition, we learn that the guy's name is Akers, he owned a houseboat, and died of a heart attack, even though Trudy swears his neck was sliced open by the glass, and had to change her clothes because of all the blood, but nope, heart attack. In this audio clip, you'll hear Ricardo Tubbs, played by Philip Michael Thomas and Stan, talking about Acres with Trudy. Hey, Lou, man, you got a real nice scam going on. Scam? Yeah, scam. We'd hate to screw it up for you, so tell us about Trudy Joplin. You just don't understand unless you've been through it. Been through it? You mean you took a ride? I've been a lot of places. Rockstar, Revivalist. And now I can't say exactly what did happen. But personally... I thought it was more like being raped, and I, I just don't, I don't recommend it. Way to make fun of your partner who just watched someone die. When Trudy goes to check on the houseboat, James Brown, who goes by Lou DeLong in this episode, shows up, and then things really start to kick into high gear. The song, <laughs> I Feel Good by James Brown, starts to play as stock footage of moving clouds are superimposed behind James Brown. 
Then his face is cut out and replaced with different stock footage clouds, only then to be replaced with Trudy's face. It is impossible to understate how bad the special effects are in the sequence. But at the same time, you can tell someone tried their best and failed spectacularly. Not surprising, as I'm pretty sure at the time the number of special effects in a typical Miami Vice episode were between zero and one. The next day at the station, Aker's widow has shown up to ID the body, but it's no longer there, having been signed out by Trudy during the night, who incidentally hasn't shown up for work. One note about this scene is that when the doctor first opens the body drawer to show the body and finds that it's empty, he closes it, checks the paperwork again, and then reopens the same drawer and acts surprised <laughs> that the body still isn't there. Like somehow the body was all crammed up in the back or something and he just missed it the first time. <laughs> Don't worry though, Trudy does eventually show up singing, I feel good, asks for a lighter, and then burns the picture of the houseboat while everyone stares at her. Cut to commercial break. At this point in the episode, we are introduced to Chris Rock in his first ever TV role as file clerk Carson, who is explaining BBSs. Kids, ask your nerdy uncle. Or Dave. He looks completely <laughs> jazzed to be on TV, whereas Don Johnson and Edward James almost look almost beyond bored and have the I'm so over this bullshit expression throughout the episode. Philip Michael Thomas, on the other hand, seems to recognize what type of episode he's in and is hemming it up and loving it. After finding out that Trudy was hanging out with Lou, Crockett and Tubbs track him down at a planetarium where he is giving a talk about afterlife. During this meeting, he interviews a couple who are extolling the virtues of being abducted by aliens and anal probed, or something to that effect. While the latter was not explicitly stated, with statements like, the most fulfilling sexual experience of my life and saved our marriage, one can connect the dots. In this next audio clip, we hear Crockett and Tubbs asking Lou about Trudy, who professes not to know her. So maybe normally, we'd assume that Rona Akers is down the street at a bar, having a couple of beers with some old friends. But nothing else is normal, so... I'm listening. The alien sapped her free will and scooted her off to the mothership. Well, that'll look good on the report. Why? It's got to be the houseboat. Trudy found the houseboat. They nabbed her, flapjacked her brain, and shredded the dispatcher's log. They didn't want Rana to lead us back. Isn't it convenient how they were hauling her away, just as we showed up? Maybe they heard Castillo. And you know aliens. They can be invisible or a half a dimension off or disguised as a houseplant. Or a record specialist nosing around. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. 
but the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. That's it. I'm on the bus, man. It's crazy. I'm out of here. Yep, you heard that right. Please don't make me explain the implications of what was just said. Since Trudy's brain has been scrambled, she can't remember the location of the houseboat. Crockett and Tubbs go to visit Acre's widow to see if she knows where it is, but when they show up, she's in the process of being kidnapped. They try to give chase, but the Ferrari won't start, and then they are blinded by an off-center column of light from above, allowing the kidnappers to escape. In this next clip, you'll hear our two detectives trying to wrap their heads around this bizarre series of events that make no sense. A thousand bucks and two dozen one-pound, twelve-ounce peanut butter jars in his shopping bag. Creamy? Or crunchy? You know, guys, I don't care if you don't believe me. I know when someone's cutting when they're not, okay? So thank you. It's pretty bad when the characters on your show start to point out plot holes and contrivances in your story. After subjecting Trudy to hypnosis, she recalls the location of the houseboat, where they find Ms. Akers in a bathing suit, dead on top of the houseboat. When they notice that a spot on Ms. Akers' neck has been shaved, Trudy then notices her neck has been shaved in the same spot, and starts to freak out with the weirdest rendition of No God No. In the meantime, Tubbs has been mapping out a search pattern to see if he can find out where the light in the sky came from, and has found Lou along at the bottom of a gravel pit, waiting to be taken somewhere. Ms. Akers' kidnappers are also there, and Tubbs manages to catch them using the slowest game of vehicular chicken that has ever been put to screen. <laughs> In the next scene at a... I'm not sure what type of building this is, a dumpy concrete barn of some sort, Tubbs is demanding answers from the kidnappers, who are government agents, to which we get back, gibberish, some crap about a secret government project, and Miami being the perfect place to test them because everyone is high on drugs. Tubbs threatens to bring them in, but they retort he can't prove anything. And that's the end of that. Carson calls Trudy down to the station because his BBS was spitting out some coordinates and wants her to take him to the houseboat because there were ham radios on board. And that's all the convincing Trudy needs to go back to the houseboat without backup to where she was just freaking out about all the stuff that was happening to her. I know TV writers view computers as magic and stuff and has got better over the last couple years, but can we at least have some rules on how things work? I know both these things run on electricity, but that does not mean that they are connected in any way. Dave, back me up on this. Okay. Back at the station, Crockett has looked into Carson and finds nothing interesting, except that Carson has been to Alco Lake, Nevada, just like the late Ms. Akers. They come across the coordinates to the houseboat from the BBS and take off in the bitchin' speedboat to find that the houseboat is being towed out to sea, with Trudy on the roof completely out of it. Crockett finds Carson in a daze in the houseboat when he comes across Creepy Astrolife Guy, who's been hanging around in the background of the entire episode. Upon talking to Creepy, they find out that the court let Astrolife take the houseboat as they own it. I guess ownership trumps a murder scene. Crockett takes Carson and Trudy with him, and as they're leaving, the speedboat loses power and stalls. At the same time, Creepy Guy in the houseboat closes the door with his mind, 
turns on a light with his mind, and then turns on a ham radio with his mind. Then the houseboat explodes, and Trudy wakes Bolt upright in bed. It was all a dreamy, guys, but we're not done yet. Trudy goes to the station early in the morning and starts looking over her messages, and as she opens a drawer, she finds the picture of a houseboat in a peanut butter jar! Because why the hell not? <laughs> Executive producer, roll credits. Now comes the time to decide if this is no knackworthy. So what is wrong with this episode? Aside from most of the plot elements making no sense, the detectives being dumber than rocks, and laughable special effects, even for the time, the cardinal sin of this episode is trying to shoehorn a sci-fi story into a show that has no business having a sci-fi story. It would be as if Bigfoot was implicated in a sexual assault in New York and the Law & Order SVU gang had to track him down. Bonus fights for anyone that can tell me which of the SVU gang would take that personally. Also, if they ever did make that a Bigfoot SVU episode, I hope that they would find out it was Sasquatch, not Bigfoot, who perpetrated the crime. I have one last question about this episode. Why do so many things in this episode? I'm sure there's more dangling plot threads in this episode than an entirety of Lost. Why did the symbol make Acres go crazy? Why did the houseboat explode? Why, after being kidnapped, was Miss Akers found on top of a houseboat dead in a bathing suit if the government guys were trying to cover it up? Why was it necessary for the cops to go undercover as an ice cream salesman and recruit criminals dressed up in sci-fi costumes to create a distraction to catch porno dealers? The further you delve into this episode, it just keeps getting weirder. The guy who wrote it, Thomas M. Dish, while this being his only TV writing credit, was a Hugo Award winner and the writer of The Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> oh, the guy no. who played Noogie, one of the guys in the costumes at the beginning of the episode, was almost on SNL, but lost out to Eddie Murphy and when he didn't show up for a second audition, and later on was Dave Chappelle's mentor. Thank you for listening to my inane ramblings, and I hope you will put I'll Never Get Back These Fucking Missing Hours Where It Belongs in the Nonak. Thank you, Brennan. Uh, boy, you're right on this making very little sense. I, I had this feeling after I watched it, like, am I dumber than I think I am? Because I didn't understand a lot of that. Like, I know it's like way off brand for Miami Vice, but even the story that they presented, I'm like, how could I not follow that? This is like barely not a kid show. Yeah. And like, you know, like, and, and but he's right. Like, there's so many things that don't make sense about this beyond the fact that Miami Vice is trying to do X-Files, which is like enough of an argument, really, that they did it so spectacularly poorly and amazingly wrong is kind of, you know, uh, the cherry on top. When he's talking about how bad the special effects are, <laughs> the very first, and I, I stuck on my Instagram, I was so impressed with the quality. When he's talking about that first appearance of James Brown, sidebar, what? Um, he, so he's right. So James Brown freezes, the background turns into this cloudscape, and then his face is removed. And you can see, so back then, you know, you, they're not dealing with computer graphics. They're using, you know, Ruby cutouts and stuff like this and, you know, using, you know, multiple layers and filming it and all that, blah, blah, blah. You can actually see the exacto knife, you know, around where they cut it. Like, it's not quite round in certain spots. You can see where they kind of started and stopped. Like, you can see the analog process involved here. And then at the end of that effect... Uh, the detect Trudy's face is put where James Brown's face was, <laughs> but it's not even remotely the right size or position or position. Yeah. Like, nor her does eyes it make any worth... sense for no. that to be happening. No, it, it doesn't. You're right. <laughs> but, you know, like, like metaphor aside, the special effects there were not only poorly done, but even the things that you could definitely help, like putting the face in the right spot, they couldn't even get that right. 
it's just an amazing episode overall. The bits at the hotel where Sonny and Crockett are, are, are tailing, and then, you know, the fire in the sky light appears over um, over his uh, sports car, whatever it is, Spider, Ferrari, I forget what it is. But, like, it is so, he was right, it's off-center. They couldn't even get that right. It's not even, like, centered on them. It's just sort of like, they had a spot in the screen, they did their best guess, but they didn't actually didn't have the final footage when they did the special effects or something like that. Like, it, it, the whole thing is so quarter-baked that... <laughs> Yeah, it's just like it's bad, bad, bad on its own. But when like you have the pinball, multi-ball multiplier of Miami Vice trying to do X-Files, it's just like so incredibly no-knack worthy. Yeah. The only real bright spot, the only real thing that I've liked was that uh, Tubbs, is Tubbs the Philip Michael? Yes. Yeah. He is having so much fun in this episode and there's a man and there's not many of these men in the world. Him and George Michael are like the very few people that can pull off a very thin beard like that. (laughs) Uh, Beards in general are kind of like, you know, dicey to do. Like a lot of people can't go with him, but that sort of manicured thin beard, really hard to pull off. And he does it. It's the saving grace, (laughs) the saving grace of this bizarrely well allison should go next because she picked it she, yeah, she chose I, us to do this and like i <laughs> had no idea i was just like oh yes i'm sure miami vice i'm sure that will be entertaining i i felt like i stopped the episode multiple times like okay wait <laughs> wait let me look this up because i i did not know what was happening like i even took like an adderall before i watched this so i knew it wasn't me <laughs> So, like, I don't understand what this was. And I feel like they need to make, like, a full-length documentary about this episode of Miami Vice Uh and, like, what was going on. There needs to be, like, some sort of behind-the-music thing about this episode alone. Edward James Olmos, who we refer to in my household as the Olmos, he was, like... Mm -hmm head down the entire time like maybe no one will recognize me he's just looking at the ground like what i don't i'm not here like he was trying to just not be there and like there were so many things about miami vice i had forgotten like trudy's nickname was big booty trudy like and it's on her and has the name it's on her her desk desk nameplate yes and like i had forgotten about that like I, i had really almost forgotten trudy existing entirely and like these other side detectives and the whole thing with the guys like in their distraction ploy and the undercover ice cream porn dealer, porn dealer. Is that a title that someone can have? (laughs) Maybe in the eighties people were dealing porn. I don't know. But like, I was shocked, honestly, like, like Don Johnson was in this. Like I couldn't believe how bad it was. I have a technical question for the group. Okay. So peanut butter is somehow connected with this cult. You know, when they're at, she's at the boathouse at some point and there's like a circle of empty peanut butter jars, which I assume are those like the psychotropic delivery system for, you know, whatever is making them go bonkers. How much of that peanut butter do you think one person needs to eat? Do you think there was like, there was one jar per person at the boathouse and you have to consume a whole jar of peanut butter at a sitting to go into whatever state the cult wants you to go into. Because that's a lot of peanut butter. Not only like 
calorie wise, but also just like there wasn't that much like to drink around there. There was a couple <laughs> like uh, glasses on the table, but like for 12 people eating 12 jars of peanut butter, like right. they would be choking on it by like <laughs> one quarter of the way through. It just seemed like not the best delivery system. You've already put more thought into it than Has ever. <laughs> Ever. And speaking about those uh, since 1987, <laughs> those cosplay, you know, undercover, whatever they were at the start, they don't even get whatever they signed up for because when they're just like dismissed at the precinct after. No, wait. See, I told you you can't trust white people, man. We should have got the money up front. How you gonna trust? Didn't you see the bay of pins? You yes, I, I saw that. I I, I noted that <sighs> I mentally mean, also. <laughs> yeah. What did you think, Rob? Well, I'm glad to hear that everyone else, I had to watch it twice. Wow. And, uh, you know, so, so, you know, thanks. But also, uh, so, you know, I'm learning Danish, which is very difficult. And one thing I do is, you know, watch a lot of TV just, you know, in this other language so my brain can process it. And I was watching this thinking, did I forget English <laughs> or how words go together do you know that kind of thing because i was like i so i had the same thing i was stopping it i was like what i don't know so um i thought well is this the kind of like uh it felt like sort of like an you know i don't know an art school film you know it doesn't need right. to make sense man <laughs> but w what made me uh what i was wondering then uh because i guess x files was what like 93 or 4 when it yeah. started Something like that. So I was wondering, like, what, and I didn't bother to look this up, but like, what was out there, kind of, you know, UFO wise, that they were maybe, because uh, I just wonder, like, when they were sitting around going, you know what we should do? You know, like, like w was there something popular in 87? I don't know if Terminator or what, what it was that, like, triggered this, uh, this, this craziness. But when it got to the point where she sat up in bed, I was like, uh, it took me a while to even go, oh, it was a, dream uh, because then when she walked in she so that last scene she saunters into work you know in her heels and i feel like she's in a bikini or something at the end there. i don't even know but then and she's like looking at her messages like here's one message here's two messages and then she slides open that drawer with a peanut butter and i just I, then i felt like i i don't know my brain was just gave up at that point so yeah that's I, I don't know. It's, it's, and I, you know, I barely watched that show. I mean, but I remember, you know, Speedboats and, you know, um, Don Johnson and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious as to who thought this was a great idea. You, you don't think we missed the point of it being so disjointed and impenetrable that it was like performance art on missing time. That right. It was it mimicking the experience of. Oh, this was like memento before memento. I asked myself yeah. that very question. <laughs> I think we give them too much credit. All right. So it sounds like we need to put this to a vote. Uh, hi. What? Tara oh, didn't go yet? Oh, no. no. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. My apologies. I don't have Speaking that much to add. I mean, we've already chewed over it so much. the The idea of that that James Brown uh, in this universe, like the song "I Feel Good," is still a song, but James Brown is not the person who performed it. It's like yeah. the tip of a very stupid iceberg. And it's true. The only thing that, like, it it does feel like something like a the episode of a show that would have been out in the nineties that was like, well, we got to do an X-Files episode. X-Files is so hot right now, except this was so many years before that. Mm -hmm. And the idea that the person who wrote this was a 
a Hugo Award winning like actual sci-fi writer who I mean I'm not surprised that he never wrote another episode of television before but like the right, fact right that, what you know right but the fact that like <laughs> this happened at at all yeah is completely confounding it was the weirdest dumbest thing I've ever seen and I look forward to Dave's podcast uh dissecting it a la yes. Star Wars holiday special <laughs> just kidding don't actually do that no. uh yeah it was terrible excellent choice for the Nonak, obviously. I apologize for skipping you. That's all, all right. right. So now let's put this to a vote. Tari Ariano. Oh, for sure. Nonak. Rob Hartman. It's a Nonak. Allison Lohuff. Uh, Nonak champion of all time. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is a little bit different of a tone from that mash one, but I think it's equally as Nonaki, I believe, just for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So that means... Miami Vice, Season 4, Episode 7, Missing Hours. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot great no-no. Oh, <laughs> oh, boy. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week. Tara, please give us our winners and losers. Okay. Winner is queer representation on television. Woohoo. Um, Pose, an upcoming 80s show from Ryan Murphy, has cast the what is reportedly the greatest number of trans actors of any primetime show ever, which is great. And also a which Disney live... I think it's five. Okay. Uh, From what? It, pardon? What? What? What's the? What is it beating? Do you know? I don't know. Oh, okay. Because I, I can't. Think Probably of a show one. I, I mean, I, I don't know of another show that's cast more than. Oh no! Wait, there's there was a few on um, the Fosters. Anyway, uh, and Andy Mac, which is a live action Disney Channel sitcom for like kids and tweens, has is going to have its first uh, gay storyline. So. Uh, indoctrinating the young. Good job, Disney Channel. Appreciate that. For losers, guess what? More terrible men uh, disgraced this week. First was Mark Halperin, who's a commentator and a pundit. He has a show called The Circus on Showtime. He's also been a commentator on MSNBC, was one of the co-authors of Game Change. And um, his uh, Game Change sequel miniseries is not happening at HBO. He got fired from Showtime because it came out that he sexually harassed many women that he worked with over several years. But that story got dwarfed uh, by the report on Sunday from Anthony Rapp that Kevin Spacey had uh, come on to him or made a sexual advance when Anthony Rapp was 14 and Kevin Spacey thought he was going to wriggle out of it by saying he doesn't remember and he was drunk. And P.S. Also, he's gay. And some media outlets fell for this by reporting just his coming out part, which is not the story at all. And also, um, 
yesterday, as we record this on Monday, Netflix announced that the sixth season of House of Cards would be its last. But late breaking news, as we record this on Tuesday, now uh, production has halted on season six. So whether there even will be a season six is now an open question. Because, oh, really? Yep. That just came oh. out uh, earlier today. Well, how do you, I mean, honestly, I mean, never mind the whole just like moral dilemmas, but like, how do you ask people to go to work and work with Kevin Spacey knowing that? You know, well, like, yeah, I mean, arguably people who worked with him probably knew, like they probably knew some things like this. Not like these stories were not known. They've are, there know, have been but, stories about him. Okay. But now plausible de deniability is out the window. Right? Absolutely. Like if you're Robin Wright, there's yes. no way you can pretend that Kevin Spacey hasn't done this kind of thing right because well now, no you know right. right um so season six may not happen but there's already started yesterday talk of spinoffs from house of cards perhaps one focusing on doug stamper aka the show's best character anyway so bad news for kevin spacey and his probably many victims in addition to the ones that have actually come out and accused him uh, um and good news for michael kelly who plays Doug stamper Speaking about good news, you know what time it is? Change the subject. It's game time. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is the eighth game time of the season. Season scores are Tara 4, Value Guest 2, Sarah 1. Rob is playing for Sarah this week. This is a regulation oh. game time. Okay. Is Sarah aware of that? Yes. Okay. Sorry, let's, Sarah. Let's say yes. <laughs> okay. Today well, we are okay. playing. Ne yes, she is. Okay. Today we are playing Network Worth from Teresa, who earns herself an extra credit that is redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of her choosing. Very simple. I will give you the name of a TV show, and you will tell me which of the show's actors you think currently has the highest net worth. Oh. oh, getting the correct answer without a hint is worth two points. If you need a hint, you can have it. The hints come in the form of the actors with the top three net worths given in no particular order. Then you have to tell me who's made the most since the show. We're talking about regular season cast members for at least one season. No guest stars or one offs. We've got 30 questions with two gross worth Kristen equalizer challenge zones. Are we ready to go? Yes. Leslie's going to go yeah. first. We will start with Tara. All right. We're going to go uh, Tara, Rob, Allison. Are we ready to play Network Worth? Yes. 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 All right. Tara, your show, Boy Meets World. Who has the highest net worth from Boy Meets World? Starting off with a tough one. Mm. Now, if you need a hint, I will read you three Names from the show, of which you can guess who has the highest net worth. Ben Savage. Correct. Hey. He's worth $12 million. Okay. Rob. For one point or two points? Uh, that was two points. You okay. did, did not need a hint. Okay. Uh, Rob Hartman. Beverly Hills 90210. Yes. Ooh. Um, I would say Jenny Garth. Incorrect. Oh, Anybody no. just want to take a guess for shits and giggles? Tara, host of Again With This, Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, what do you think? I don't know. Jason Priestley, maybe because he had a career as a director. He was a That is correct. Oh. He's worth 12. Oh. Luke Perry, 10. Shannon Doherty, 10. Yeah. 
All right, Allison, mm. here's your first question. Okay. Uh, hold on, just because it's relevant. Sarah, so Rob, you have one steel meal. Uh, and oh. Allison, you have three. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Ooh. And I will say that Tara can win it today, so, you know. Damn it. Okay. Might be worth using those. All right, Allison, Saved by the Bell. Mm. Who is worth the most from Saved by the Bell? Oh, um... Guess it for two or ask for a hint after which the answer is worth one. Um, I'll guess Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Whoops. <laughs> Incorrect. Mario Lopez. Oh, sure. Host of Extra. Host of Extra. Yeah, 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 yeah and yeah. host of other things. Uh, Tiffany was second. With, she's worth 10. Okay. He's worth 16. All right, Tara. Brotherly love. Um, Joey Lawrence. Correct. Rob Breaker High. Oh, okay. I will need a hint. All right. Terry Kahn, Tyler Labine, or some guy named Ryan Gosling. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I think, uh, um, yeah, Ryan Gosling. He's worth 60 million, according to this. Mm. Uh, Blossom, Allison. Blossom. Uh,. Oh God! Hold on a second. Let me think of her name. Uh, the the problematic uh, Mayim B. <laughs> We're gonna accept that answer. Mm-hmm. She's yep. worth twelve to Jerry Lawrence's six, as we uh, just discovered. He's worth six. Tara, mm-hmm. the all new Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, Justin Timberlake. Hey, two hundred and thirty million to Britney Spears. One hundred eighty-five million. To Christina Aguilera's 160 million. What a loser. Yeah. <laughs> the Wonder Years, Rob. The Wonder Years. Uh, Fred Savage. Correct. Beating out Daniel Stern by $6 million. Gosh. Allison Lohuff. Yep. Hannah Montana. Uh, Miley Cyrus. Yes. Now, how much more do you think he, uh, she's worth than her dad, Billy Ray? $100 million. That's what Close. I would say. 140 million. Wow. wow. 20 to 160. <laughs> Every parent wants their child to surpass them, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I like how the losers here are still worth $8 million. <laughs> yeah, right. Tara Ariano. Yep. The Partridge family. Mm. And And I'm not sure, I'm not giving, but just because it does come up, some of these names in the hints and then the answers may be dead. We're talking, you know, that doesn't sure. matter. We're still talking net worth or state or whatever. Okay. Um, I'm going to say David Cassidy. Incorrect. It's Anyone Shirley want to steal Jones. Meal it? Oh, you already said it. Oh. Uh, you got to really get in there in the steel meal if you want to jump in. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shirley Jones, 25 million. Susan Day, 10 million. David Cassidy, half a million. Excuse me? Whoa. Susan Day? He's been spending some dough. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Mm. All right. Rob Reiner, happy days. Uh, Rob Reiner, well, Rob uh, Hartman. <laughs> I was very I confused. Rob Hart- <laughs> Rob, well, I, I was thinking I, what did I Rob say? Reiner's said Rob happy Reiner. days. You said <laughs> Rob Reiner. Well, that's all right. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, but I was thinking, oh, did he do a happy days? <laughs> no. uh, so uh, Rob Hartman. No, your hint is yes. happy days. My apologies. Yes. Uh, no, no worries. Uh, well, um, Ron Howard. Yeah. Obviously, one hundred and forty to Henry Winkler's twenty. Allison Lowe Huff. Uh-huh. Everwood. Oh, 
Oh, ever um, would. This brings us into our first score break. Chris Pratt. Oh, definitely Chris Pratt. Oh, 40 I million. forgot all about him. Good call, yeah. Allison. To Scott Wolf's 10 million. All right, score break, please start. Okay, well, Allison and I are tied with six each. Rob has five. Very close game. All right, so that means you are. Mr. Mr. Reiner, you are in <laughs> the Grossworth Kristen Equalizer Challenge Zone. You could get four uh, points if you get three of these six questions right. That is correct. Oh, wow. and this you know, is, and I just got to I just got to meet Adam uh, Grossworth from this oh, is yes, of in course. real life about a week ago. Yes, yeah, yes. pretty big jerk, right? Oh, God. Yeah. He is no, a spot. Could not get out of the fast <laughs> enough. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, all right. So this is from the new box. So these are all have categories. So starting with classics, what 50s kids show was blasted by the National TV Review Board because the clown's role was too feminine? Howdy doody. Yeah. Sitcom. What 60s sitcom features Kate Bradley's girls, Billy Joe... Betty Joe and Bobby Joe. That is Petticoat Junction. How old are you, Rob? <laughs> what? This is drama. Gentleman never Don't tells. Worry about it. I am eternal. This is drama. What spy series starred a character called Ah? Uh, what number six? Uh, I'm sorry. Say that what again? spy series starred a character called Number Six? called number six what spy series oh. oh no you know the answers i don't and i know the answers you don't uh i um i'm just gonna guess that uh it is i spy that is the prisoner the prisoner i'm oh number. of course of course it is yeah what TV club did this is uh, kids and games? What TV club did Don Grady get his start on before graduating to My Three Sons? That's the Mickey Mouse Club. That's correct. You got you the point. So let's just do it. What Fantasy Island character was replaced in 1983 by Lawrence? And this is Stars. Uh, character. Oh, the character. Uh, 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 oh my God, Tattoo. Is that his name? Nice. That's worth a day point. What cable channel provides live coverage of the U.S. Congress? <laughs> That's C-SPAN. It is C-SPAN. Well, well done. Marvin. That puts you in the lead. <laughs> Five out of six. So. Yes. All right. Back to the game. Tara Ariana. Mm-hmm. One day at a time. 1975 version. Who had the who has the highest net worth from that show? Um, Valerie Bertinelli. Yes, by quite a bit. 12 to the closest. So 12, Boyd Gaines? I don't even know who that is. Oh, he played one of the husbands. He's a director now. And Ron Rifkin. He's worth six. Nobody else in the main cast is even there. Rob Hartman, sister, sister. Uh, 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 Remember, you can ask for a hint. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to need a hint. Okay. Yeah. Taya Mori. Yeah. Uh, Tamara Maori, Jackie yeah. Harry. It's well, Jack A, first of all. Oh, I'm let's sorry. Say, let's Jack A, Harry. My apologies, Ms. Well, let, Ms. Harry. Let's say Jack A. <laughs> that is good. She is worth 6.5. And I'm the so others glad. Are four. Me too. A Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hmm. Trick question, possibly? Let me think. Let me think. Um, let's say... 
Hmm. Air Michelle Geller? No, mm. I thought it was a trick. Steel Mill? Steel Mill. Allison Hannigan? Oh, that's what I would have said. Oh. Who has been on a TV show forever? Oh, David Boreanaz. David Boreanaz. Oh, God. Has been on TV continuously. Oh. That's true. Buffy, Boo. Angel, Bones. And he directs things, too. Going, going, going. Right. Boo. Uh, Sarah, sorry, I blew here. <laughs> Tara. Yep. Brady Bunch. Um, Brady Bunch. Florence Henderson? Christopher Knight. Christopher Knight is worth 15. Huh. Florence Henderson, comma, a state of 10 million. Okay. All right, Rob. Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks. A lot of talent in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Uh, Seth Rogen. Correct. Nice. 45 million to Jason Segel, 30 to James Franco's 20. Hmm. James Franco spent too much time in school and General Hospital. Yep. Yeah. Allison. Moesha. Who else was on the Mm. Oh, Isha. What's your guess well, for let me just guess. worth the most? Or I'm going to say Brandy. Yay! Okay. You're I correct. Guess. 14. J. Ray. Ray J. 6 million. <laughs> Which he is, is, you know. Wait, what? is that the sex tape guy? Yes. yes. Okay. I don't know <laughs> these things. Just popped away. Okay. Uh, Tara. Yep. Growing Pains. Um. Growing Pains. Yeah. God. I just want it. I mean, the two top likely people are both not great, but I'm going to say who are? it's the estate of Alan Thicke. Mm. Oh, it's not Kirk steel Cameron, mail. is it? I have a steel mail. Okay, okay steel mail. Is it Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, shit. I forgot he was a cast member. $220 to Alan Thicke estate. 14, uh, 40 million. Nice 40 million. work, Alan. Kirk Cameron. Who eats uh, Subway submarine sandwiches for his birthday yep. in a sad, sad conference room? He's mm-hmm. worth twenty million, though. He's produced all those Christian movies. Stayed, yeah, what are those? What are they called? Left, Left behind. behind. Left behind. behind. Yeah, yeah. God, why do any of us know that? Um, <laughs> I was I. I've never read them, of course, but I did play the video game based on it out of curiosity. The the uh, um, there was a video game based on those books that was sort of like uh, Command and Conquer. It was like one of those real-time strategy games. It was terrible. <laughs> Felicity, Rob. Felicity. Felicity. Uh, well, Carrie Russell. Correct. Hey. She's worth eight. Foley, five. Speedman, three. I thought it might be Foley. Good, good guessing. Allison, yeah. party of five. Oh, hmm. Parte of five. You're at the two thirds mark of this quiz, by the way. Okay. Ah. Matthew Party Fox. Five. Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox is correct. Nice. Except I think he's a jerk. He's worth 20. He's got $20 million to jerk around. Jennifer Love <laughs> Hewitt, 18 million. Very close. Mm. Yeah. Tara Ariano. Mm-hmm. Flash forward. Oh God! It's like five trillion people in that show. Um. Well, don't forget you can ask for a hint. You can't remember everybody. Uh, okay, hint. All right, your three are Jewel Strait, uh-huh. Ben Foster, yeah, Mark uh, Donato. 
Ben Foster. Ben Foster. Correct. Rob, are you afraid of the dark? Let's have a hint. Vanessa oh, do you, uh, Leggins? Can you spell it? Len, 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 L-E-N-G-I-E-S. Oh, Lengies. Vanessa Lengies. Is that an I or an L? Mm-hmm. It's an I. It's an I. Joanna Garcia Swisher. Alicia mm-hmm. Cuthbert. Well, uh, Alicia Cuthbert. That's good for one point. One point. All right, this is going to bring us into our second score break and our final Growthworth Equalizer Challenge Zone. 21 Jump Street, Allison. Tough mm-hmm. one. Okay. Uh, the Depp. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he is worth $200 million and a private island. Uh, how much is Peter DeLuise worth, guys? <laughs> $1 13. million. Yeah, $1 million. Correct. Yeah, good for so him. Still good. Well, good. Mm. All right. So, second score break. Tara, let's hear the scores. Okay. Rob has 15 points. Allison has 14 points. I have nine. Okay. So, you're in last place. Yep. Oh, dear. Does it sound like I'm talking faster? I feel like I'm kind of buzzed for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Did All right, you eat some so peanut, peanut butter, butter today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tara. Classics. Okay. What 1960s sci-fi series was ordered by ABC to produce a new monster every show? The Twilight sci-fi Zone. Series. Close. <clears throat> the Outer Limits. The other one. Yeah. Okay. Mm. What decade does the Wonder Years flash back to? The seventies. The 60s? 60s? Oh, okay. What 60s series began with the words space, the final frontier? Think about it. Star Trek. Might not be what you think it is. (laughs) All right, there's one. This is Kids and Games. What cable network offered shows like Hey Dude, Kids Court, and Super Sloppy Double Dare? Nickelodeon. There's two. What show saw Peter Falk play Chicago mobster Nate Selko in pre-Columbo years. I have no idea. I Spy? The Untouchables. Okay. The Untouchables. All right, so you need this one. Yep. What are the Smother Brothers' first names? Oh, no. What are Dick their... and Tommy. Correct. Hey! That's worth four points. So let's get the scores quickly, please. Well, I'm still in last place. Rob has 15. uh, Allison has 14. I have 13. All right. Very close. Everybody has two questions left. Here we go. Allison, you still have two steel meals. Okay. I I will try to remember to pause a little bit after each one. This is very important. Lizzie McGuire, Tara. Lizzie McGuire. Hillary Duff. Two points. Who's the boss, Rob Hartman? Who's the boss? Oh. 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 Um, Judith Light. Oh, I wanted that to be true. <laughs> she is third with five million. Tony oh, Danza yeah. in second with 40. Alyssa Milano. Of course, Alyssa Milano. Of 45. Course. Allison. Yes. Charles in charge. Oh, Lord. Um... Mm-hmm. Who else was in that? A show of middling achievers. <laughs> Charles and Charles. Scott Bayo. No. Scott Bayo is right in the middle of the pack, uh, bringing up the rear Josie Davis, then Scott Bayo, then Nicole Eggert mm. with 4 million versus 3.5 million versus 3 million. 
<laughs> not a big spread, but a spread nonetheless. All right, scores, please, quickly, Tara. Okay, Rob and I are tied with 15 each. Allison has 14. Damn. Oh, close game. All right. Here we go. Tara. Yep. Are you ready? Yeah. My so-called life. Jared Leto. so-called life. You are correct. Okay. He's worth 40. Claire Danes, 20. All right. So that puts you two points ahead, right? Yep. Rob has to get this two-pointer to keep it. Jack and Bobby. Jack and Bobby. Oh, God. Uh, hmm. Jack and Bobby. Uh. I'm, you know what? I'm going to need the hint. All right. Which means, yeah. John Slattery, Bradley Cooper, Logan Lerman. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is correct for one point. Brad, he was in that show. Me too. Mm. Allison Taxi. Oh, that's a good question. Taxi. Um, DeVito. DeVito is the one. 70 yeah. million. All that producing. Tony Danza, we know, is only worth 40. And Christopher Lloyd, 50. He's worth 50. Wow. All right. Final scores, please, Tara. Well, it could not have been closer. Rob and Allison with 16 each. I had 17. Tara. Tara. History repeats itself. <laughs> Try and you succeed. You're the best around. Nothing's ever going to keep you down. Around another game time season ten. Well done, Tara. Congratulations on a season victory. Thank you. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We murdered the discussion of the Margaret Atwood adaptation, Ilias Grace, and discovered who's the Pierce of Scientology and the Aftermath before going around the dial with stops at At Home with Amy Sedaris, Shetland, was it Shelton? Was it Shetland? Shetland. 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 Like the pony. <laughs> like the pony. I forgot to write it down on my end notes. Stranger Things and Pickle and Peanut. Miami Vice's Missing Hours beamed itself up a no-knack. We crowned winners and losers of the week. And Tara was a winner of this week's game time and the season. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole. And on behalf of Tara Ariana. I feel good. Allison Loha. Open the window. And Rob Hartman. Peanut butter in my drawer. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. Creamy? Or crunchy? Or crunchy! <laughs> this has been a production of the Previously.TV Podcast Network.